When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to this week's episode of Safe Room, a horror video game podcast and proud member of Bloody Disgusting's Bloody FM podcast network. I'm your host, Jay Krieger. And I'm the other one, Neil Bowman. And this week, we're rolling up our sleeves and attempting to write a conclusion to our story that doesn't spell complete disaster in our long-awaited chat about Remedy Entertainment's latest, Alan Wake 2. Picking up 13 years after the original Alan Wake, Alan Wake 2 continues Alan's struggle to escape the dark place and Mr. Scratch, while introducing FBI profile Saga Anderson and her partner Alex Casey, who are investigating the Cult of the Tree, a group committing ritualistic murders in the Bright Falls area. And while it might come as no surprise, an additional warning for this week's episode, as we will be discussing all manner of spoilers. But it isn't just Neil and I attempting to decipher our realities of our protagonists this week, as we're joined by GameSpot.com editor Mark Delaney to help us make sense of the madness of Alan Wake 2. Mark, welcome to the show, man. Thanks so much for having me, guys. We're incredibly excited to have you. And, you know, we were chatting before the show. It's nice to put a, a face to the avatar of somebody that we've been mm-hmm. chatting about uh, horror with for various amounts of time on Twitter and whatnot. Um, and, you know, in terms of Alan Wake 2 guests, I think it's uh, safe to say you were somewhat of a fan, given that uh, you <laughs> awarded the perfect score of a 10 out of 10 in your review for GameSpot. Um, but I think before we delve into what makes the sequel such a standout of the year for you, for me as well. I don't want to speak for Neil quite yet, but uh, we'd like to kind of get your experience with past Remedy games and more specifically how you regard the original Alan Wake. Sure. Yeah. I um, I think to date, the only Remedy game I haven't played was Death Rally, which was like their car combat thing <laughs> from years ago. But a lot of people kind of forget that even exists, except Remedy keeps like sneaking it into their games as Easter eggs. <laughs> um, but yeah, going back to like Max Payne, I definitely enjoyed the first two Max Paynes, which they did with Rockstar. Um, but I never, I was at that time, you know, now you know me as like a big remedy super fan probably, but the, uh, when Max Payne one and two came out, I, de- I definitely liked them, but I was kind of on the younger side, you know, they're, they're pretty, um, pretty violent, especially early on. You like, I, I just replayed them recently and like the first five minutes, there's like a bloody crib and you know, it's, it, it, it goes off the rails fast. And I was, I don't know, 2001 i'm bad at math that's why i'm a writer but i was pretty young at the time so uh i um you know it was it was a little a little over my head but i definitely enjoyed them and then the funny thing about alan wake it came out you guys might remember this it came out the same day as red dead the original red dead at least here in the states it did um which you know isn't good for alan wake (laughs) um but it also came out nine days before the tv show lost ended um which I look back on now, I didn't know it at the time, but in the years since then, I look back on now as that having been so important because um, both are, you know, very mystery laden and like there's lots of like fan forum potential there. And it's just like the sort of thing that I love to get into. Um, and I did get, I I remember not really knowing what Alan Wake was and I started to watch YouTube videos. I think I must've been looking for a game to buy or something at the time. And uh 
Yeah, by the time by the time the, the release date came out, I remember I picked up Alan Wake on launch, maybe Red Dead as well, if I could afford it back then. I was still a student, so I don't know um if I how many pennies I was scraping together. But uh I I definitely got it at launch and it it's sort of just like I don't know, it just overtook it it overtook me in such a way that was it was just exactly what I wanted at the time. And like I said, especially with lost ending, I needed, I needed that mystery box, like filled in my heart again, like just, it, it just, you guys know it, it does so much in, in, in that regard with like setting up mysteries and quasi answering some and not really answering others. Cause they're leaving open room for more story and, and maybe giving multiple answers to one things and you argue about it online. And, um, <laughs> Yeah, just ever since then, I've just been big into Remedy. And of course, they they wanted to do a sequel way back when. Microsoft said no thanks. So they did Quantum Break. I love that. And then Control, I feel like when they did Control, like they kind of leveled up as a studio. Oh, yeah. Like it's just, you know, and, and of course, the, the awards that they received kind of <clears throat> verify that. But I just feel like even, even if it didn't get any acclaim, like there was just something like, they were just leaning into what they knew best. And it just it just felt like a super confident game in a way that honestly Quantum Break never really did. Cause I think that one got um Don Matricked, if I can use that as a verb. <laughs> I think, but, I think uh, you can at this point. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, just ever since 2019 with control is like, okay, they are like they're leveling up, they're 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 hitting a new gear here. Um, and then so when they start teasing Alan Wake 2, and mind you, like years ago, I wrote a thing kind of joking jokingly playing off the five stages of grief about how i came to accept that there never actually would be an Alan Wake 2 <laughs> and that was i probably wrote that in like 2018 or 2019 or something um so just to go on that whole journey for 13 years from the first game kind of just taking over my mind in such a way that like i loved and just watching remedy kind of grow from there and now for the sequel to finally exist and like I wrote in my review, not just exist, because that probably would have been cool, even if the game sucked, like it would have been a minor victory to at least get an LMA 2. But to get this version of LMA 2 is just like, man, is this a dream come true as a fan? <laughs> well, we talked about it recently when we covered uh, Control, and we were just talking about, you know, our experience with Remedy's past games, like you mentioned, you know, Max Payne, of course, going even all the way back to those games. And there was always a quality, I think, in most of Remedy's games that felt almost foreign to the actual sort of point of the game, if that makes sense. With like something like Max Payne and recently revisiting it, those were two games that, you know, had their supernatural elements and whether that was how they delve into the psychological aspect of Max Payne's trauma and these things. And, you know, for me personally, I always wanted them to like go a step further, but maybe where they were at as a company at that point, um, it, maybe it was a tougher sell to say, oh, we've got this supernatural third person shooter and it was the thing where, you know, with each subsequent release after Max Payne, Max Payne 2, it's just, I think, especially with obviously the original Alan Wake, it was nice to see them lean into horror with their, you know, saying horror with their whole chest kind of thing, where it's like, okay, we have a straight up horror game from Remedy. We can see them get as weird as they want and maybe not have some of the restraints from a storytelling standpoint that they had with something like the Max Payne's. And, you know, I think that's been the best part of revisiting Remedy's catalog, specifically, you know, getting to replay Control and just, you can see how they get more confident the more in their own lane they lean, right? And I think that with Control and, you know, I'd said it in our Control episode, like Quantum Break was not a game I was a huge fan of. I see that as though, as still being a worthwhile effort for them to expand their sort of skill set and how they tell stories and evolving on that, which ultimately, you know, 
emphasized uh, some changes that occur in, of course, Control and then Alan Wake 2. And it makes for a game that I think for Alan Wake 2 being just like so much more confident, even from uh, the original Alan Wake and just, you know, not kind of shying away from being as weird as they want, but still having a point to it. Right. I think we see plenty of games out there that are like, oh, we can introduce these weird concepts and these weird characters and be eccentric. But sometimes certain studios, it's like that's all there is to it. But I think as we'll get into with Alan Wake 2, like there is a point to everything in the weirdness. And it's not just for the sake of being so. It's more this very singular specific story they're telling. Yeah, every, everything feels like so well set up to, especially when you consider, you know, we'll probably touch on it. So I don't want to jump into it too early, but like their connected universe and everything. And you can see even in Quantum Break, they were trying to go for that. And now they don't have those rights. So they kind of dance around that in really fun ways. But um, <laughs> it's just like, yeah, I don't know. I, I just remember my, there's a scene early in Ellen Wake 2, the first talk show scene where it's like, He's the uh, the host, Mr. Doors, is introducing Alan's book, but Alan doesn't remember writing it. And the book is sort of about Alan, like watching, observing himself write this book about <laughs> it's just like the way that everything is just like you said, it's it's so weird, but it all. I don't even want to say always makes sense because I think it, it does make sense, but it, it, it takes a little bit of mental strain to get there. But just it just, it just feels very intentional. And yeah, like we said, like just confident as hell in a way that like it's it's so like refreshing to just watch that growth because i there's not too many studios that i've like cared enough to kind of like track that or you know with with other studios sometimes that growth just isn't there you know i think about like assassin's creed for example oh, like yeah. there's a bunch of different studios doing those games but the overarching like ubisoftness of that series is just like so sure like demoralizing honestly as someone who used to like those games so it's just it's just nice it's just nice to 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 see a game like go for it and and achieve it it's like it feels rare and awesome yeah absolutely um you know in terms of just like how expansive an experience Alan Wake 2 is and you know before the show Neil and I were both saying how it's still very fresh for us as we you know finished it this morning um I guess for you it's I'd love to know like is there an element that initially stood out to you as being the most sort of indicative, I think, of Remedy refining their craft over those 13 years from the original? Like when you first sat down to play it, what kind of jumped out to you as being like, oh, this is not just a conventional sort of approach to a sequel? Honestly, <laughs> I had this moment early in the review process and I I, managed, I messaged my manager, uh, Tamor Hussein, and I said, um, it was right after I got to the title sequence. And he knows like, it's tough when you, when you, do a review for a game that you kind of feel like if everything comes together, you're probably going to like it, you know, but you still have to try to, you can't really remove your bias. You just have to kind of account for and almost like recalculate based on what, what might be bias, like creeping into your opinion, you know, it's, it's, it's really, I, I enjoyed that process. That's why I like take on reviews, even when like, you know, a lot of, a lot of my reviews at work, I'm, I'm asking to cover them. I don't like just get assigned them. Some people don't like them, but I actually, I actually like reviews because um, I like that process of like just trying to work out my thoughts and writing them down and then maybe people read them. But uh, with Alan Wake, I got to, it was as early as the title card. You guys remember that mm -hmm. awesome oh, yeah. title card? And I messaged my boss, Tam, and I was like, dude, like there's immediately like a style here. Um, and he's like, I calm yourself like you know like I, he's like i i he said you know to be fair he, he was he's like i trust that you know you can 
you can give this a fair shake and, you know, you, you know how to account for bias and all that. And um, I was like, no, I know. Like, and I, I actually use the example of Redfall. Like, I know that I'm able to let myself be let down by something that I really wanted to love because Redfall sucks so bad. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so I was like, I, I, I trusted myself to handle it well, but it's just that they remedy just ticks all these boxes for me. So I was like, if they hit on these things and if technically it holds up and it, sh it should be something up my alley. And then, yeah, that, that title card was actually the earliest one. So we're talking like eight minutes into the game <laughs> and it's just, I don't know, the music it plays and like the bold font that just like swallows the whole screen and not to mention, you know, the whole summer since they revealed saga as a second character in May or so, um, then players all were building up to like, Oh, two playable characters two like dual, coexisting campaigns in a way so then to start the game unbeknownst to anyone until they're playing it as a third character who's yeah. also <laughs> a recurring character a returning character from the first mm -hmm. game who's also by the way bare ass naked mm -hmm. like that was, that was <laughs> like that like that was a cool little like way to throw off people right away but then yeah the title card the music and then it cuts to like saga driving in with with um alex casey sam lake's character um slash james mccaffrey's character of course iconically um and it just feels like, you know, it goes from that that awesome intro that totally unexpected to like a David Fincher movie. And I was just like, oh, man, I don't know how long this ride's going to be, but it's going to be a good one, I think. Like <laughs> I think by the end of it as well, you, when you look back, you go, wow, it really did just veer off in a completely different direction as well by that point. Because you, mm. you think of that very you know, moody, very atmospheric, very particular beginning and you think where you've got to by the end it's like it's like you've read like a series of books you know like that in a, in yeah. a saga literally in a saga and you just <laughs> and it's just i mean the thing that really came into it for me when i finished it was like the dark tower straight away from you know the way it goes you know and especially the sort of you know bringing creators and authors into the story on multiple levels connected worlds you know the ending um, is mm -hmm. very reminiscent of that. Even Scratch, um, the use of folklore in modern settings, you know, Mr. Door, the mind play stuff and the connections you have with people. And, you know, just similar story ideas about the hero and things like that. And it was mm -hmm. just like, and just the way things change from like section to section so significantly while staying within the confines of what Alan Wake 2 is. Was it, that really impressed me once the whole package had been finished and done with. It was like, okay, I can make more sense of it now as a game once I had that sort of thing, thinking in my head. It was like, it makes sense that, you know, a story about someone writing books feels like a book in some ways. You know, I think for me, and it, you know, is along what Mark was saying about just that opening, the game overall I would just describe as being more confident and the production as a whole is just so much more than what was even capable in the original Alway. Because I think, you know, the plot is at times just as hammy and pulpish as the original Alway, but the overall tone is much more, um, you know, David Fincher-esque, like Mark said and in his review, he mentioned that. And, you know, I think that that is why the shift from more of action horror of the original to now something that's very rudimentary and like survival horror and having that whole sort of refocusing for the gameplay really complements the story that's being told here because it's a similar story, but it's being told in a way that, you know, I um, hesitate to say like more 
um, <laughs> respectable uh, narrative <laughs> or anything like that. But I think that overall, when you think about you know compartmentalizing a lot of those same ideas from the original into this, you can explore them in ways that could just be as silly, but the presentation almost feels more in line with how they present to the world of control, right? It's more mm. matter of fact, it's more stylized, it's more polished and conceivably every way. And, you know, with this sequel, obviously, you know, on top of it being just absolutely gorgeous to look at, the ways in which Remedy again has shown that, you know, they've learned from their past titles. Like with Quantum Break, one of my qualms with that game was the fact that those FMV cutscenes and everything pulled you out of the experience mm. rather than, you know, in control and it's carried over uh, into Alan Wake 2, where you have those uh, like hotline shadow cutscenes that play live action in the actual game and doesn't pull you out of the experience. So by the end of the game, I kind of did feel along the lines of what Neil said was like, I just feel like I read three novels back to back because it just never ends as if I sat in one seat for three days and just played through and <laughs> at times was able to catch my breath, have a coffee break. Um, but at the same time, for the type of story they're telling, I sort of appreciated that more so that even when you get to the end of a chapter, which is very similar to the original game, and you know it may, might not say end of episode one, but it says like end of segment. Mm -hmm. um, I still yeah. liked that sort of continuation, but if anything, it presents it less as like an episode of a TV show and just more of you know a chapter in this dark saga, if you will. Mm -hmm. How many times are we going to say <laughs> refer to this campaign as a saga? I wonder. Yeah, <laughs> it's almost like it was a deliberate choice, there, isn't it? So. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I asked Sam about that when when they first revealed her. I was like, her last name's Anderson. Like, I know how intentional you guys all are with your names. Like, <laughs> yeah. what's going on there? And you, it's you know, I I think I included the quote, his reply in in the written version. But what you couldn't read on that page was his his visual uh, like tell was was very funny at the time <laughs> during during the Zoom chat that I had with him. I was like, yeah, I think now that you mention it, there are some Andersons in town already, aren't there? I was like, <laughs> It's cool. Yeah, I, I actually, it was, you know, we've we've used some words like confident and ambitious and things. It was toward the end. I don't know at what point, but nearing like the final, like in the final act, rather, um, I was like, this feels, and I think this made it into my review too. It feels so ambitious that I actually don't know how they top it. Like, because it's not like like Sam's not retiring. I actually checked with him later. I was like, "Are you retiring?" Like this feels like a swan song, and he's he told me um, his intent is to, and it probably speaks for how all of Remedy does it. But he was at least speaking for himself was to make everyone like it's your last one. That's how he put it. I was like, "Well, yeah, it feels like that." I don't know, you know, whether it's Control Two or next. I guess the Max Payne sequels are probably next, but in terms of next like new thing, I don't know what that'll be, but. Man, if, if they're going to try to top this, that's going to be a good time, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we've mentioned now the dual characters and whatnot. And I think for me, what I was so surprised about in terms of Alan and Saga's character chapters is that they so they, you know, are continuing in, along the same narrative and informing different aspects of the narrative. But they both feel distinctly different in a way in terms of like with. Alan's campaign, it feels more in line with, you know, abiding by, okay, there's going to be a good portion of people playing this, of course, that are more familiar with the, all of the intricacies of Alan Wake's world. But then Saga's campaign or chapters felt more like they were catering to people that maybe aren't as familiar with Remedy Games or even the original Alan Wake. And the fact that I walked away enjoying both of them equally 
and not viewing one as like, oh, this is like the tutorial character kind of thing. Mm -hmm. If anything, the and I think it's sort of the contrasting of their special abilities, right? You have, of course, Saga Anderson's ability, which is the mind place, which is the 3D sort of rendering that allows her to go into her special mind place and sort of <laughs> tie together these clues and whatnot and draw these connections. But then Alan, of course, has that uh, ability where he's writing the narrative and then can sort of influence the world around him based off of certain words and these things. And, you know, for me, that was what was most impressive, I think, about introducing not only a new character and not have it feel like just a, a way to make the narrative more complex than it needed to be. If anything, it made my appreciation of the narrative even more so than the original. And I think that ultimately the gameplay switching from action horror to more survival horror or it being survival horror um, is the fact that that investigatory angle feels like something they couldn't have done in the original game. Cause I think for me, it would have felt very out of place between the actual narrative storytelling and then the gameplay portion of it. Um, how did you guys kind of feel about the handling of those dual characters? Yeah, I think you, you touched on like my biggest takeaway too, which was that, um, through Saga's eyes, because they know 13 years between sequels is 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 not uh, very common, um, especially for a story that gets this loopy. Um, so through Saga's eyes, whether you're, you're new or old, um, you kind of get reacquainted or acquainted for the first time with Bright Falls, with like the weird, quirky characters that live in town. Um, you know, the Oh Dear Diner, and you you read every note you pass, um, every signpost uh through the woods and everything which were sort of there before but they they added to them which which was nice because they did a lot of that cool witchy stuff that i really liked as well but um that's a side note but uh yeah so it's, like you said through her you kind of see the town perhaps for the first time and then alan like alan's campaign right away hitting you with that that talk show with mr door that i mentioned before and it's just like I, I had wondered while playing it and since then as well, like many times over, like what that scene looks like if you're new to it when he's first talking to door and, and, and Sam's there by his side and Sam's portraying Casey and Casey's in the book and Alan doesn't remember the book and the book is touching on doppelgangers. And as players, we already are familiar with their concept of Mr. Scratch and like, I, I, I know like you, you guys brought me here cause I, I know the game so well, but it's almost like, man, what I want to ask somebody who has never played it before, like, what what the hell is that like for you? Because the, it's so like, it's so out there so quickly. Um, and then the, the funny thing too, is I didn't like, once I got control of Saga again, I actually played her straight through. I don't know how you guys do. We can talk about that too. If you'd like, like the structure of it, because it lets us kind of jump around as we prefer. And I just went straight through for Sagas and I had made a save just in case because I misunderstood. I thought maybe some of it could be um, left out. Like you could skip portions. It seems like now you actually can't skip portions. It eventually forces you to do everything anyway, which is lovely because who would want to like not see all that. But so once I got to the point of no return with Saga, only then at hour 19 in my playthrough did I go back to Alan's and the very next scene with Alan is the musical. So <laughs> for 19 hours, I had already loved so much of what I'd seen. I'd basically only played sagas except for those opening hours that force you into Alan's perspective. So then like around hour, hour 20, all of a sudden the game turns into this multimedia, like I've never seen anything like that. I mean, of course that's the scene everyone talks about, but I was like, I was already like floored by this game. And then to only then 
see that like jesus it just it just blew my mind like <laughs> i don't know how you guys experienced all that like jumping back and forth yeah hours, I, but. I think i went basically one or two one and then back to the other so i think i reached the musical bit about 10 hours in which i think mm -hmm. for me at the time was probably the best time for it to happen because it shifted how i was feeling with the game in terms mm -hmm. of like momentum and where it was going and i think the swapping back and forth did help um in terms of how the way the narrative goes i think because saga's campaign almost feels like a slate of hand you know to what's going on in the overall narrative and just to keep you distracted away <laughs> from everything else um but yeah it is just mad how that goes um full <laughs> tilt bonkers I, my only tiny complaint of that scene was i was having someone talk to me while i was doing it and i was really struggling to sort of concentrate on what i was supposed to be doing so i kept missing the signposting bits so i was standing around for ages in certain sections where i shouldn't have been it was like which is fine because i'm still hearing the music and everything but yeah it was if any game or you know, movie whatever throws a musical moment like that at me it's gonna be like yeah all right okay that's fine you got me that's it <laughs> and, and, uh, and there's there's just something so joyous about like seeing like uh, Alan Wake's like physical actor Ilka yeah. Vili and Sam Lake and David Harewood playing Mr. Dora, like seeing them do those dances where it's like so <laughs> they're I mean they do they do a great job. I don't think they're like they're bad at that, but it's just you know, you don't usually see them in in that uh world. It was just so funny to just see them go through the choreography and they're tapping their feet and they're waving their <laughs> arms around. I'm like, Oh my, cause I, you know, I've met Sam a couple of times now. So like I haven't, I've haven't met those other folks, but if you ever, you know, know somebody and then suddenly they appear in a musical, it's like, <laughs> this is a whole new side of you. <laughs> it's kind of like when you go out drinking with coworkers for the first time and you just see people behaving in a fashion that they typically don't at the office or whatnot. But um, you know, for me, I played straight through as uh, Alan after actually friend of the show and uh, fellow GameSpot employee, uh, Jake Decker told me to do that so I could get to the hotel section uh, as quickly as possible because he was talking up how that portion of the game mm -hmm. would be in line with, you know, he knows my horror sensibilities. So he was like, oh, just play as Alan so you can experience that as quickly as possible and we can talk about it. And then I kind of was just in the groove of Alan and, you know, not to say that it hindered my sort of enjoyment of the game or anything like that, but Next time that I do a playthrough, I'm absolutely going to be swapping between the two characters mm -hmm. so I can kind of get a different perspective on the flow of events, perhaps, or as Neil was saying, like seeing some of the more foreshadowing, perhaps, or just how certain plot points play into different narrative roles, um, sort of the priority of them, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but I think that overall, like that was another facet of this game that really does kind of tap into the meta nature where it's like, okay, you get to write your own story, you get to dictate the protagonist in a given moment. Uh, in terms of which episode you want to play next, which again, like just the, I think the overall sort of fluidity of this game from the way in which the narrative flows with the characters, but at the same time, sort of going from actually in control and playing to then swapping to the mind place or the plot board at any given moment. And the sort of just the seamlessness with which that occurs, I think is probably one of the most impressive aspects of this game from just a technical standpoint. You know, we mentioned earlier, it's gorgeous to look at, of course, but I think overall, like just from a technical standpoint, and I know that everybody more or less has encountered a few bugs um, here and there with the game, which have been, for the most part, I think patched out. Mm -hmm. um, at the same time, though, just like what the Northlight engine allows this game to do, 
is one of those things that like really did jump out to me in the opening hours of just how quickly the world was responding to me as Alan changing the plot. And then at the same time with Saga and just going into this, you know, really in-depth connecting of different case files and then doing the sort of profiling of people. But then at a given moment, swapping right back into playing the game was really, really awesome. <laughs> There's no yeah, way to put it like really, really impressive. I don't. Yeah, I still don't know how they pull that off. And it is totally a testament to their Northlight engine that they developed. I, Control was on that. I think actually Quantum Break was on that, too. So they've been working on it for a while. Um and yeah, it's always looked gorgeous. I mean, Quantum Break at the time, like you, I, I had some issues with it. Um, I think in retrospect, there were actually too few encounters in that game. Um, but that's mm. a different show. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it always looked great. And, it, and honestly, it still does. I, I play, I've replayed it um, in the past couple of years. Um, yeah, I mean, they built that thing in-house. And, you know, credit to, to Epic even for bringing them on and I don't know if this was ever on the table or not, but it's nice to see that like they just got to make this game a Northlight and were never like mm -hmm. forced down the, like the, un as much as like pretty much the whole industry loves the Unreal Engine apparently, like <laughs> Remedy is very much like calling their own shots now. That's part of what I mean with like leveling up since Control. It's like, okay, Control won them a bunch of awards. They published that via a, you know, medium sized publisher 505. And they're working with them on, on future control projects as well. But at this point, it just feels like they get to call the shots in the way that like it reminds me of um, Respawn does with EA. How EA is like, everyone's got to be on our in-house engine. And it, I don't know if this is accurate, but from the outside, it seems like Respawn's like, no, we're not doing that. And EA is just like, <laughs> okay, yeah, that's fine. Like, <laughs> and, and yeah, I don't know. It's just they're, they got to make Alan Wake too. They got to do it on their engine. They got to have this weird musical like they just went for it and you know i wasn't i wasn't in those meetings but it seems like they had like the right creative people of course in the studio but in in epic and just it, it just seems like like i said they're just calling their own shots now and like where they go from here is so exciting <laughs> it really is isn't it because like you said, it is so rare for a studio to get that i would i talk say kojima would be uh, kojima Productions yeah. is the one that kind of follows a similar path in that basically got given a stack of money to do a walking simulator <laughs> in the most literal sense <laughs> and made it and made it bizarre as ever and you know i fucking love it for the same reasons you love this yeah it's like it was just showed everything that could be done with someone just being given free reign to do what they want and you know there again someone who you know, a team that made an engine specifically for a game that then they fucked off and didn't use it for <laughs> it's like it, it is amazing to see such um independence despite you know the stories you always hear about like oh this wasn't profitable yet or that wasn't profitable yet or you know it's like it's nice to see that hasn't mattered you know the, mm -hmm. those stories and they, they're doing well enough probably because they keep it quite in-house um another one would be like io interactive interactive who um do Hitman, who, so mm. despite everything that's happened to them, you know, they've forged a path on their own, own engine, own everything else, and uh, flying away. And you do just see the difference, I think, with studios who get that freedom, who can sort of like go to publishers and say, oh, you know, this is what we got, you know, you can back it if you want, you know, and if you get the right backer, you've got everything going for you, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think whatever you can say about this game, like it, hate it, or whatever everything's there and feels indulgent, you know, in a way that isn't like, oh God, did you really have to keep doing this sort of thing in a way that's like, oh, 
yeah, I, I get it. it feels like it has a personality, you know, beyond you know that sort of arbitrary way of describing things, having a personality. It really does. Everything feels remedy, you know, mm-hmm. and remedy through the ages. And I think one of the most impressive things is that sort of combination of multimedia and just the way it sort of all links up and just feels so seamless. It's just quite frankly incredible. I mean, that musical scene is such a great example of that. You know, it's like it doesn't ever feel odd in the in that way, like like you're being pulled out of it or anything. And I think you were saying earlier, Jay, you know how it could be like that with um, Quantum Break and like you know the cutscenes being live action and things like that. But here it's so integrated, and yeah, with the story being told about multimedia and different you know artists making different things, it is just like. <laughs> lovely little layers to everything you know like that I, yeah. that's one of the most fascinating things about it i think a big part of that is just the the overall uncompromising nature of the you know alan wake 2 and ultimately i think the type of story that it's telling and you know obviously don't know what the conversations were like between uh remedy and epic but at the same time it's like well if they cave on you know we're going to utilize unreal instead what other concessions might they have to make like that? And I don't know if that sets a precedent or anything, but it's nice to see a project and the Kojima comparison is perfectly apt in that it's like, okay, this clearly is an uncompromising vision where, you know, it is so bizarre and so singular and how it's telling this very strange story in a very unconventional way. And yet if one aspect of that was to be compromised on to fit some type of exterior agenda or maybe, or influence to some degree, you'd kind of be like, well, what other pieces of this then start to not jive as well. And I think that dance number is a perfect example of that because of the way that when that pops up, it is surprising, it is jarring, but it feels totally in line with what you know about this world and, you know, overall sort of remedy sensibilities with storytelling in these things where, yeah, it is strange, it is shocking, but at the end of the day, like it is in service of something greater than just that kind of gut reaction to it, I suppose, right? Because as we've said, you know, the incorporation of media and also just the sort of the taunting nature of the dark place and of Mr. Door and, you know, Mr. Scratch and these concepts that are constantly plaguing both Alan and the player. Um, And I think ultimately, you know, when I mentioned that I thought just the game being more confident in terms of it also being more expansive, I think, like probably my biggest complaint, one of my biggest complaints about the original Alan Wake was... Um, it kind of just felt like I was walking through a never ending forest and it Mm. didn't necessarily have a variety to it in that way where I was like the last, I don't know, five hours of that game, I felt like I was just on a never ending path, a loop almost, if you will. (laughs) And I think that with Alan Wake 2, there are so many set points, set pieces within this that are tied to larger environments, a larger variety of environments, which again is capable of, uh, or it's capable because of the fact that you have those separate storylines and separate characters. Um, and for me, I'm just like curious for you, Mark, like what did you think about that? Just the more expansive sort of scope of Alan Wake 2 as a sequel and including those new environments. Yeah, I, I had two thoughts there that I've been thinking about actually. So it's good that you asked. <laughs> um, one is you kind of touched on it already. Like one of the, you know, I gave it a 10 out of 10. So I absolutely love it. One of the real downsides for me that doesn't, make sense in a review so i didn't say it there um is that it kind of diminishes the first one in retrospect like i'll go back and play the first one i'll probably still enjoy it. you know the atmosphere is still pretty cool um the 
the uh the music is awesome the there was a lot of like i think this part did hit come in uh make it into my review which is it, it has a lot of um style and not so much substance the first one you know and the second one's got like limitless amounts of both now um so in retrospect it does kind of like almost hurt the first one um to a greater extent than i don't know how you guys feel about it. like the, the the way that the last of us like added on to its like me- mechanics in mm-hmm. the second one yeah um like combat mechanics especially um mm. and then you go back and play the first one and all you can do is sort of like crouch behind like <laughs> like waist high boxes and it's like it yeah. feels uh you know it feels so much deeper and and so with so much more to do there and so many ways to approach something um that it almost like diminishes the first one in retrospect a little bit so it, it did do that for me but then um but like I said, I'll still I'll still enjoy the first one. But the uh, but also, I was thinking a lot about uh, Alan Wake's American Nightmare, the 2012 like Xbox Live Arcade kind of pseudo sequel thing, where I think that probably was like Microsoft saying we don't want an Alan Wake two, but we'll let you fidget around with the with the character a little bit more. Here here's this fifteen dollar mini game thing. I don't I don't really know, but I mean I I enjoy that one a lot as well. But if you remember, that one's heavily related to like time loops and you kind of just move between three areas the whole game and you do it, I think, three times and then you beat it. Um, And this was sort of like a bigger, obviously much more beautiful version of that. But if you look at like where you're exploring in this game, despite everything that happens, this the environments and the settings really aren't that big, especially by modern standards like you you go back and forth for with Saga between Cauldron Lake, Bright Falls, and Watery, um, and you know you get to open those a little bit more in like a light Metroidvania sort of way. Or okay, now I have the bolt cutter, so I can get through. You know, I can get into the backyard over here that I noticed an hour two, but it can only open now an hour twenty two. Um, but they they never really they never feel bloated. They never get too big, um, and they fill it with so with so much like I don't know like. I mean, of course, I'm obsessed with like the lore and everything. So I was walking up to every like bit of graffiti and every signpost and reading everything like that. But it, it's I, I feel like even for like a, a player who's just kind of playing it because they play a new game or whatever, or they just happen to pick this up and they're, they're like horror or whatever. Um, it's just it's just really amazing how much they did with with still ultimately pretty limited space. Like in the early hours, I was like, if this doesn't expand too much because i think I, I went to cauldron lake you know at the beginning with saga you go to bright falls and then pretty quickly you're back at cauldron lake and i was like huh is this gonna get like is this gonna feel too small too constrained in a way that like american nightmare obviously had to because it was like a much smaller project and i was just worried like with all the ambition we'd heard about for months and all, all you know a lot of it's their marketing beats and as their critic we get to decide how much of that ends up feeling true to us but um i was like you know they they talked about how much they went for it, but maybe maybe that means it's going to be explosive and beautiful and, and dazzling, but maybe quite small and, and brief. Um, and then that wasn't the case. You know, the, every every setting feels super rich and full. And I go, OK, now I want to go up to this lighthouse. OK, I can't open it yet. I'm going to come back later and I'm going to talk to the Andersons. And now I want to explore every little trailer in this trailer park. And, you know, it, it's by the end of it, you, you it's two and a half times longer than the original game, you know, by my estimates anyways, 10 hours versus I did 26 to beat the second one. Um, 
And it's just, it's, it's way longer, but it never feels like it overstays its welcome. And yet, despite all of that, it's really not dealing with that much space. I, I, I thought that was an incredible use of what is, you know, relatively limited space for a modern game like that. Yeah. I was, I was kind of terrified that it was going to be the thing where like the back half of The Last of Us Part Two, when you swap back to, or you play as Abby's character, and then that campaign or that section goes on for what I thought was like, Two hours, two and a half hours, three hours too long. Whereas with this, you know, again, to your point about just the the amount of depth, I think, in those environments, which maybe I shouldn't have described them as being much larger, but I think they're just they're more dense with interesting locales and interesting lore that you can kind of find in tidbits of that. And yeah, the game really never hits a sort of rough patch for me in terms of its pacing because of the fact that even when I was returning to certain areas, perhaps early on. I kind of just skated through this section of Cauldron Lake the first time. And when I'm going to run it back, I'm going to be a little more uh, investigatory and just like looking into some of those weird nursery rhymes or digging mm. into this computer and finding a code. Um, and, you know, the game, of course, rewards exploration, not only from the knowledge standpoint of the lore and stuff, but like other weapons and these things that you won't get otherwise, which is another aspect of this game kind of opening up the general scope, I think, of the experience that is much more in line with, you know, traditional survival horror and that. You know, you're rewarded for being nosy in a place that you probably shouldn't be in for yeah. as long as you are, um, which is, you know, one of the staples of that. Uh, just on size and the use of that size, I think it's something that a lot of games didn't learn from Shenmue back in the day, where that, that did a lot with so little that made you feel like it was a much bigger game than it actually was you know, until, mm. you know, GTA 3 came out and like did the more literal interpretation of what that was. And yeah, I like games that do that. I mean, it's why you know we talk about studios like Arcane, you know, that, that make so much mm. out of so little. And technically, they aren't very big games, but they have so much in any given section that the illusion is there throughout. It's like you don't, mm -hmm. you, know, you know, you get that initial thing, like you said, where you think, okay, I've been here and I'm back here again, but it's. You know, sort of circumnavigated by the way the game does things and especially with Alan's half where you know it can just throw you into places that don't really commit to what it's doing like that I mean and you get certain areas where you know they can be completely different a second time around you know because of who's in it and what situation you're in so yeah, they find smart ways to just sort of keep you on your toes change things up um I think breaking it down into, into these little parts as well helps it, you know, so you don't have to do all the backtracking and nonsense like that. You know, you are free to explore your way, you know, without having to be like, okay, well, you've got here now to do this mission. Now you've got to drive all the way to point B. You know, it's not being deadly premonition, you know, in those early sections, thank God. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, I was actually quite relieved the first time they were like, oh, we got to go in the car now. I was like, don't make me drive, though. It's like, <laughs> like that. It's just, I, I just, you know, I liked what you're doing here with this stuff, but no driving. And yeah, that was great to just be, have a little, you know, cutscene with some narration. And again, mm. great use of um, just getting from place to place. And yeah, I, I think it's an admirable way of showing that you don't need to have big open spaces and big open worlds to really like have a sense of freedom. And a sense of immersion you know, like this i think it's not like this is like particularly deep in terms of like the world itself you know it isn't as interactive as some spaces uh that are similar in size 
like say an arcane game, but it does have so much going on in it. You know, do you said like you know when you look at the graffiti or stuff or just like stuff in any given room, you know, like mm-hmm. everything is part of the story and just you know you can have little hints and clues and Easter eggs and things like that. And I, that's a great thing about it is that Easter eggs you know range from the blatantly obvious to the you know mm-hmm. these very tiny things you go okay I remember that like that <laughs> I mean I'd forgotten about like the Alex Casey stuff in general and how mm. you know it's very much you know, Max Payne you know and, yeah, uh, right. and that was the first time I saw him in that outfit I was like oh okay that's an interesting <laughs> thing to remember that so yeah it's just great way of using the space I think is I think the thing we can all sort of agree on there yeah the, the Max Payne the first time you see Max Payne through Alex Casey when they you know mm. run the trailer as they say, um, during that first talk show bit, that's that's another one of those moments where I'm like, what is this like for someone who doesn't know this history? Because they're yeah, like, sure. to them, it seems like a weird ripoff, yeah. you know, <laughs> where it's like it's doing so much more than that. Like not. You, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you guys know, I don't know. <laughs> <But Yeah, laughs> it's just like it's difficult. to a new player, like, you know, you hear the voice and he's doing the the noir, like often self-deprecating narration and or an ex-wife joke. Yeah, yeah. And it's just like, how, I mean, I guess whether you're new or not, one thing I was wondering, someone that did know what they're going for there is like, I wonder how they get away with that. I, I guess because they're still buddy-buddy with Rockstar, especially. And they're I mean, doing the remakes, aren't they? So. Yeah, they're doing the remakes. I was yeah. like, but but I wonder, like, is that, you know, is that something that they know that they can get away with so they don't even have to ask? Or is that something they run by them? Or is that something that they outright ask permission? Because it's so... It's so spot on. It's the yeah. same voice actor. It's the same original face model, yeah. even <laughs> 20, 22 years later or whatever it is. And it's just like, it's yeah, for that to happen in Alan's like first moments among everything else that happens in that wild first moment is so is so awesome. <laughs> I have to say, if I was reviewing this, I would have given it at least a solid point just for getting to listen to James McCaffrey choose scenery for like that whole I know. first chunk of exploring uh the dark dark version of uh new york city because that was just like music to my ears especially after just replaying max Payne 2 for the first time in probably like 10 years getting to have that front and center in the experience and it again you know even though of course we have that relationship with max Payne, at the same time you know that is a great way i think just to like show sort of a piece of what Alan Wake's novels were like. Cause you know, if you're a new player to that and you don't really have an idea of sort of the tone of these games or overall the sort of blending of pulpy noir with the sort of like quasi Stephen King nature of those, mm-hmm. those story <laughs> in the first game, I think that that's a great example of how remedy is able to kind of like catch up new players and very quickly introduce them to the vibe of this world. Cause I think, you know, granted, even if people go into this that don't really know what to expect, but they are into horror chances are the sort of weirdness and the ever guessing nature of that narrative is going to be engaging in a way that so few games are because of how it jumps around, I think, with uh, tone at times. And even and again, you know, we, of course, have the benefit of having that history with Remedy games and that love of Remedy games. But I think that it's the type of thing where it can't be too, I don't know, the like Max Payne nature of it isn't so foreign to overall sort of how the game presents itself, if you will. But you can, it's funny to see how they, because what they call the Remedy Connected Universe officially is just Alan Wake and Control so far. Um, 
but they're always make creating these with i think in a previous like i forget, i think it started in a, a subreddit's ama one time i think it was the director of control who called them echoes basically to their past games it's like we don't own the max Payne ip we don't own quantum break but you know players might find echoes of things that remind them of that and even though alex casey isn't max Payne, and even though we know he very obviously is in a way <laughs> um you they're much more on the nose with those references than they are with the Microsoft stuff regarding quantum break and, and the way they use Sean Ashmore in this game. Um, they're, they're, you know, with, it, you can see that like with rockstar, they're like, we know they won't send their lawyers after us, but with Microsoft, maybe they're less sure. So they're, they're, it's a bit fuzzier there. <laughs> I think it was like, they literally had that one scene when you see him in the dark place and he, he sort of references a dream he had and that's it. Yeah. Like that. And, yeah. Um, it's yeah it is funny like that it's like just on a quick note i noticed at the end of the credits like yeah, courtney hopes jesse faden was like mentioned but i never saw him mm-hmm. like that there's there's a brief moment where she pops up on a tv i believe yeah. during there's, like, the a commercial Zane or stuff. something right yeah it shows her and then it quickly sh- it shows like a portrait of her on the tv in uh, thomas sane's um was it the hotel room i guess yeah um and then right after that, it briefly shows Dr. Darling, like fidgeting with some FPC contraption, yeah. I think, if I and recall. And he's the um, books in the... Yeah, he's got the book in the dressing room, too, yeah. Which is doubly um, weird, because, you know, it's voice and <laughs> stuff like that. It's yeah. just like that double connection. Something I couldn't actually shake for a while, actually, early on in this game, was obviously Darling's voice being you know, the same, and just, like, that's who I could hear you know, to begin with, rather than Alan for a while, and it was just like, yeah, the weird disconnect for a little while. But then- yeah, <laughs> I wonder what they're going to do with that if those two ever share a scene. Well, I cause... suppose they did it with Zane, I suppose. So it's not. Yeah, well, it's... Zane, they they gave Zane a different voice actor, I think, or at least Matthew Pretter was putting on a very different voice. Mm. Um, I, th- I think it was a different actor. I think credits um, just listed as the actor rather than actor and voice actor. So I think it, he was just doing his own voice rather than having Pereira do it. So. That might be hmm. something. But yeah, that, again, just scenes like that were weird. Yeah, that's um, it. I remember when we were um, researching on control again. I was just like looking through the who plays who in voice, who plays who in uh, you know acting terms, like going through all these remedy games, and it's like it's, <laughs> it's such a weird mix because you, you suddenly go, oh yeah, that's uh, that they've always been connected in some weird, strange way. Yeah, I'm blanking on her name, but the Jesse Faden actor, she's oh, Courtney, um, Hope. Courtney yeah. Hope. Courtney Hope, yeah. I mean, she, of course, has a, um, she plays uh, Beth Wilder in Quantum Break, which later is also, you know, again, like fuzzily referenced on Sean Ashmore or, you know, his character, Tim Breaker, mm-hmm. whose middle initial has, has got to be E, by the way. I'm guessing his middle <laughs> initial is E, but um, <laughs> he, uh, on his, every time you meet him, if you, you know, he's, you hear him here uh, humming the Night Spring song, you can kind of go out of your way a little bit and find him. He tell if you click on the thing, he gives you the collectible. So that's like a cool gameplay reward. But uh, his whiteboard is updated every time you see him. And on like the third or fourth pass, when you bump into him out in the dark place, he references like the redheaded woman. Who's the redheaded woman? Why do I feel like I know her? It's some some sort of like he's like confused and jotting down. Why does he remember her? So it's like just another quantum break, like wink to the camera. It's like. It's it's legally distinct. Don't sue us, Microsoft. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think I love that. Stuff. Part of that is good though, because it gives a sort of level of restraint in terms of having the 
in a you know, a world where we live now where everyone would expect them to go crazy and here let's have a multiverse of fucking characters and here this one will turn <laughs> up and that one so and the fact they don't have you know Jesse or Max Payne or whatever or anyone really turn up as you would expect you know that and they keep all that in a very different box I, I was kind of relieved about because early on when you first you know get the FBC you know coming into it you're like oh okay so we're gonna have more connection I feel we'll probably get that with the, the expansions because yeah, if the any, second one in particular is yeah. like focused on that lake house that they kept referencing. Yeah, we, I mean, the other thing with that before playing this game was it gave you know, it was slightly annoying to know that they were continuing because it was like, well, the way this game's going, they're, they're talking about finality and it doesn't feel like it's going to be very final if you know, yeah, these yeah. expansions are carrying on like that. But now, where everything we know, it makes sense, you know, like mm-hmm. that. This the idea of um. The story being told again, but differently. Time loop, yeah. Yeah, which the new game plus stuff as well. You know, the, mm-hmm. everything they said about that, um, all of it makes more sense now, like that. So, shame they had to sort of detail that a bit early, maybe. But I get, you know, I get why you want to sort of go, hey, we have got these expansions and things. But it was like, maybe would have liked. I don't know. Actually, thinking about it, it it's <laughs> difficult because on the one hand, I, I go back to the, like the Dark Tower thing. And how many people fucking hated the ending? Because they the whole thing is about this journey, this journey, and all the things that go through to go through this journey, and then you get that stinger of an ending, where it's very similar to this one, like that, where it's just like, yep, do it again, <laughs> like that. And mm. here we are. And I could see how that would annoy, but in a way, maybe I'm glad that I had a feeling that it would be something like that. And um, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting way to go about it, at least. You know, I think it could have been... Yeah, I've said enough. <laughs> I'm just going to talk. I'm talking myself into a spiral now. So. <laughs> well, I think their handling of the connected universes is, again, it's the type of thing where it's going to go over newcomers' heads, obviously. And even for somebody like myself, who is just so engrossed in trying to keep track of which reality I'm in and what I'm doing, how that influences things, some of them probably went over my head and definitely did go over my head. But if anything, I think that. At the same time, the game, again, I keep coming back to like the pacing of it in that those moments that either have some connection to either control, you know, like the first time you bump into Ati or later on when, you know, the FBC shows up, it's the type of thing where it doesn't feel like it brings things to a grinding halt. You know, of course, new players might be like, well, who's this weird janitor guy? Um, but at the same time, like, <laughs> I'm still like that. And I've yeah, seen him a couple of times. <laughs> that's very, very fair. Um, <laughs> but it is the type of thing where. At the same time, like, it's strange. It might leave you scratching your head, but I think that it informs the situation that the player is in at the moment enough that it's like it pushes them onto the next bit where the next Mm -hmm. part you're getting the angel lamp and then you are, you know, so engrossed with how that mechanic works and the implications that has on the world and whatnot. And at the same time, though, you know, there are going to be those deeper connections that I think really really you're only going to get on your second playthrough probably just because of the fact that you're not as surprised by either you know the technical um, additions from the previous game or the new gameplay uh, fundamentals and these things that it just keeps you moving along at a nice pace. And um, one thing that I do want us to chat about is the switch from the more action-oriented nature of gameplay 
too, the you know tighter third person over the shoulder uh, survival horror aspect of this game. Because for me personally, you know, I enjoyed the original Alan Wake, but again, by the end of that game, I was kind of tired of mm-hmm. getting jumped by the same six shadow people and then kind of lunging my way out of encounters for a couple minutes while I spin around and you know hit them with my flashlight and stuff. Whereas with this, it's much more methodical. So for you, Mark, like what was the most meaningful change from a gameplay perspective, I suppose, by going in a more survival horror aspect for you? Yeah, well, the, I mean, the first game loves to telegraph its its encounters. If you remember, yeah. like every time you would be descended upon by like three or four taken, it would do that little slow-mo and the camera would zoom around. And it was, again, it was style, but not really substance because, and they weren't really going for horror then. So it was fine. But yeah, I think the, the, the biggest thing now is how uh, everything slows down, you know, instead of taking on five taken and you know, this variety takes three bullets and that one takes six and that one takes 12 and you, you know, even headshots didn't matter back then. Like you could just pop them anywhere as long as you hit that many times. And the, you know, the aim assist was pretty sticky. So you probably didn't even miss too many shots and you had a ton of bullets. Uh, so it was like, it, it's, you know, the, the easy comparison is resident evil. The camera looks a lot like resident evil, like the third person ones. Um, but one thing that I really like that they do, do differently than resident evil is the, is the like live healing you know, Resident mm-hmm. Evil, you got to heal real quick. You you go into inventory and you you chew on some green herbs real quick. But <laughs> in this one, like I've I got to find the cover for these two and a half to three and a half seconds, whatever it is, yeah. to wrap this bandage and to heal up. And that that combined with like the fewer but sturdier enemies, um, especially with some of those some of those bigger dudes, um, they 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 take quite a quite a few hits on even normal difficulty. So like. <laughs> If there's no light nearby to save you as the safe haven mechanic, like you've really got to like use up your, all your inventory and and you know make smart decisions. I would, I would sometimes like funnel them into a doorway so I could just kind of like pick them off one by one and just hope enough I would go down where I could then heal before finishing off the rest. And yeah, I, I all of those things that for all the reasons that the last one was never really a horror game. Um, like all those things that they leaned into this time, I thought they I thought they did really well. The game was never really that scary for me, I guess. You know, it was always creepy, atmospheric. Um, but I think that just comes with having played so many horror games. You guys probably feel the same. But Yeah, I think the height of it comes in the care home. Uh, I think really. Where yeah. It, it, that's probably where it gets the most atmospheric and like. One of the creepy. best sections. Yeah. I think that's for me, you know, in horror terms is where it really hooked me on being like that which i suppose makes sense when we talk about you know that fincher sort of style of horror which is a bit different it's just bleak and grim and like but stylish um it, it's not horror but it, it you know sits in the same house you know as mm-hmm. horror but yeah when you get to those sections things like that i mean i think the thing we always talk about with horror is that there's these very traditional ideas obviously of what horror is and you know that sections like the care home are you know that's horror. That does horror exactly like that. The and there are bad examples of a horror. To be fair, in this game, you know, I think the the, the jump scaring flashing image thing, I just had enough of very early on. <laughs> Gets to be a bit much after the yeah. first three hours. But but in fairness, it still got me at times. 
because like that <laughs> it did manage to do it so you know we go back to the whole thing we say about jump scares like you know it's fine they are a part of it you can have them just use them well yeah and i think it goes back to what you're saying you know like when when you're not really focusing on it being horror all the time it's like it, it makes sense but i suppose the reason you could defend it with this game is from the confines of a writer who is writing very tropey horror stories who isn't naturally a horror writer it makes more sense that you know jump scares are like part of the thing if on a meta level <laughs> like that and i think that's the thing of it it's just like a, a looping spiraling horror story with the same old tropes same old things and the idea that you have to be in the confines of that it makes sense and yeah you know, so i went through that sort of journey of like i don't like the, how many there are to oh you got me to okay they're part of it that's fine i get that um yeah, it's beyond that. I think horror is always good when you just get unusual and catch people off guard with what you're doing. And you know, you could take horror out of so many things in this game that are small, insignificant. Just the brooding atmosphere of a place. The the way the world is designed. Something I didn't mention earlier is like it doesn't feel like levels a lot of the time. It's such an, I hate to use the word organic, but it is there. It, it, you know, the forest feels like being lost in a forest because it's dark. The paths go up and down and wind around like that. And it's like, even if you have a rough bearing where you're going, it's still, you know, you're in the dark and you're going to make mistakes about where you're going. The knowledge of the enemies you have to face then, as few as they may be, does give you the sense of disorientation and like slight anxiety about where to go and what to do next. Um, and then there's Coffee World, yeah, which is, yeah, if, <laughs> if we're going to talk about the care home, I think Coffee World's like my other favourite section because it's the bleak, you know, otherworldliness of it, you know, beyond what's going on in it is just, it's just that horribly, I don't know, that very American thing is like this doomed novelty theme park, you know, that is just <laughs> yes. a stupid idea on every level, but it's there and it's tragic. And I like that as a source of horror because, again, not to scare you, but to sort of make you feel a bit off like that. And then it's, I'm glad Remedy have that sort of full sort of inventory of different kinds of horror. Where they're just going, you know, Sure, we, we're going to do the lazy stuff, you know, and the stuff that's obvious, you know, and maybe we're doing it on purpose. Uh, but then we will, you know, generally go for creepy stuff. Then we'll go for something that's unsettling or just something that just trips you up, makes you think, oh, okay, I don't know what I think about that. Um, I, I think even going straight to the opening and just like, you know, here you are as a um, man who's completely naked walking up the beach like that it's like it's just like okay it's like that i don't know how to feel about this and yeah i, I think it's a very broad sense of horror you know a lot of the time so i'm glad it does a bit more of the actual pure core idea of what horror is but having these different little facets of it as well i think made it more interesting as a whole package i, I found the, the maybe the creepiest part for me actually isn't really interactive but it's also optional and hopefully everybody caught it if they've played it already which is um the short film nightless night which i won't try to pronounce in yes. in finnish the finnish name <laughs> um but that was that was like very creepy very atmospheric um is that the but when you go back to the theater 
Yeah, so it's sort of like sort of like you've kind of finished up at the theater and you can head back out into the city. Yeah. But if as you're leaving the the uh screen comes on and you see like a quote there yeah. and you know, hopefully for enough players they might stop and be curious and be like what's this now? <laughs> and you find what it is is like I don't know how long it is. It it feels like it's oh, 10 15 minutes yeah, I think maybe it's which about is about 15 minutes, yeah, from what I saw. It was which, like cuz I I <laughs> Just had to look at something beforehand because I was getting to the end. I was like, how long is left sort of thing? Uh, that came up about there being a movie. One of this thing. I was like, oh, it's yeah, you stay for about 15 minutes. We go, oh, it's all yeah. right then. I'll do that. That's fine. It's like, <laughs> it's like that. Yeah, it is. Um, I, I get what you mean with that. Like, like the musical, that's another moment where it's like, oh, I don't know who else would have tried to do this but remedy like <laughs> and then there's actually one more part um toward the end sorry i know i'm kind of jumping off the horror um topic but i wanted to make sure to bring up because for me when i look back on this game there's like three key moments that um just remind me that like it it's doing things and it did things that like i've never seen before the musical the, the short film which i found awesome um especially in the way that I like, again, re almost retells or tells echoes of this is the narrative of the game and the book. It just, you know, it's, it's always like wrapped in itself over and over again in that awesome way. And the movie, the short film does that as well. And then also I haven't seen too many people talk about this yet, I guess, cause it's a spoiler, but I found it fascinating when you get to the fake deer fest at the end, which again is kind of creepy. So maybe I am still on the top of horror because um, <laughs> it's so like Stepford wifey and just like, um, yes. it's like so like fake present, uh, like fake pleasantness. Um, but if you stop and walk around and listen to all like the NPCs, <laughs> they're all like, they're all, it was, dude, I, I don't even, I'm still making sense of how to feel about this because they're all <laughs> talking about the book that in that nightmare scenario exists but it's almost like they were doing my job like yeah. they were like criticizing the book positively <laughs> yeah. in such a way that it was almost like i was like is, fit, is sam telling me what to think here like what the hell is going on because they're like oh i found like saga's uh you know the the metaphor of saga being a, a woman in the workplace and i was like like this is messing up my head. Like, <laughs> what am I supposed to think about this? <laughs> it, it, that, I mean, yeah. That, that, as, as a journalist, sort of thing, that's the way it starts feeling very meta in that sense. It's like <laughs> I do. I did chuckle going around there, hearing those sort of random comments, so like, like because it, it just felt so, you know, pointed you know, in terms of like, I know who's supposed to be listening to this bit. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, yeah, we hear you, sort of thing. <laughs> What did you guys think of the uh, hotel room 665 section? Because I thought that was probably the most horror centric part next to, you know, the wellness center, which from a gameplay standpoint, in terms of it being feeling kind of like a hospital in, you know, Resident Evil or something like this example of that level felt like it was the type of story that perfectly is like a perfect display, I think, of the uh, mechanic of Alan's ability to kind of like shift the world and getting you thrown into this, you know, demonic mini story and whatnot and just the way in which that also ties into like the loop nature of things but then how just drastically the environment changes the further into this you know hellish side story you're in um, that was one of those sections where i was just like oh this is fantastic and if anything i think given how long the game is if the entire if they tried to replicate the horror of a section like that for the entire experience that might not end up working out so well especially with kind of alan wake's unique uh, approach to horror or its ability to combine uh, horror with other genres and these things. But I just found that section to be 
the most you know traditionally horrifying moment of the game and whatnot. And I think because there weren't a great deal of moments like that that were leaning so much into horror that it ended up being you know such a standout for me. And you know, if anything, it made me appreciate some of the other side stories that you go along and do that are more surreal and kind of Stepford wifey in the sense of like this this fake pleasantness that people have in Bright Falls or in other portions of the game. Yeah, the um, it's funny, a, co- a couple of people that I've talked to about the game um, since we've all played it have brought up that as like Alan's like outside of like his really out there multimedia stuff, like from a gameplay standpoint, that's probably the best use of that um, that mechanic. I think it's because I don't know about you guys, but I got a little bit confused in my first round with the, the like the train station setup, which is like kind of the first time it's, it's kind of teaching it to you, but it's doing so on the fly. It's not really a tutorial because it's so like important to the story already. It kind of just dropped right into it, trying to figure out like, okay, how much do I backtrack? And, you know, you know, when you get a new like set to use as like the, the, the words that you apply or, or setting event or whatever that, you know, that, that's probably the one you want to use next, but how much do I go backwards and do I want to stop at all these other spots where I can use this and like, see what kind of lockers it might open this time. And, um, I, I know a lot of people got lost on that, that first try, but by the time, I mean, not only is, is the, is the hotel so awesome looking and again, Northlight, like those red lights that shine yeah, like, Oh my God. They, Very Argento-esque. I thought. Yes. Yeah, oh, it's so dazzling. The, uh, so not only is that like great in its own right, but by then you've kind of mastered the mechanic. And like you said, it's it's much more like constrained. You're in these narrow hallways and there's, you know, especially given how constrained it is, there's a ton of those shadows around and you never really know. There's, there's eventually a tell that you can kind of learn about which shadows are coming for you. Like the music slightly changes and they're kind of like walking more purposefully to you. Um but but even then, like some of the ones that seem like nonviolent, you walk past them and they throw you to the ground. It's just in that space where the red light looks magnificent and there's nowhere to kind of like wiggle through and you finally know how it works and the story's clicking and all this Tom Zane stuff's going on. Like, <laughs> like it, yeah, it really all comes together in that moment. It's, oh, and then, you know, the RCU element with like it's the ocean view again, you know, yeah. so there's that aspect, too, if for people who are into that. All the doors are painted differently, and um, if I don't know how deeply into the subreddits you guys go on this stuff, but it's a popular fan theory that the, each of those doors represents a different reality, potentially a different RCU-related game. Um, like the spiral is Alan, and one one triangle is Control, and another the other inverse triangle is actually Control Two, and then there's a couple others that are kind of unaccounted for that might be future games, future like tie-ins and stuff. So like even just being in that space as like creepy and and awesome as it looks, and it's, it's kind of doing everything all at once. Like you want to stare at it, but you got to run. It's super constrained, but I want to, I'm taking screenshots of every freaking door so I can talk to the other (laughs) nerds on Reddit about it. Like (laughs) it was, yeah, that I love that part. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think when you get towards the end of the game and what they suggest about Mr. Door, would suggest those, that that's the connection, you know, because once that's all done, they don't go back to it. And so it that feels like something we're going to learn maybe in the expansions um, about where it goes with that. But yeah, I, I think that theory's probably got some legs, to be fair, because it is just, 
a bit too convenient the way they are and the fact that they are just locked doors for the majority of it. So, yeah, it, it makes sense with that. <laughs> um, I just wanted to point out one more, like, small moment in terms of, like, great atmospherics. Um, it's anytime you go back to Alan's apartment, I think, um, especially, like, the last time uh, where you get the the Bloober Team special, as I call it, where it's like, you know, everything, oh, okay. you turn around, everything's changed, you turn around, everything's changed, you turn yeah. around, everything's changed, like that. Um, and, yeah, I just think that was really well done, something so simplistic, you know, and, yeah, so much I loved about, you know, Tambala and Half Mermaid's uh, immortality is in what they do with the live action stuff, you know, and those sections with Alice Wake are just really good. I really like them. You know, I think you know, going all the way to the, the mid credit scene thing that you get as well. And yeah, I think it's just the way it's performed mainly, but all the imagery and every, this whole mystery with Scratch at that point, it just it's so fascinating to go through. And it always just feels like something is about to kick off and it never <laughs> does, really. Not, not at all. Um, but those little touches, like that first time you're watching like her video on the projector like that and as you're doing it in the background yeah you can see the reflection of like the lamp flickering on off on off on off Mm -hmm. like that that connection Mm -hmm. thing like that and just again that shows up i think when you go back it's just something yeah when she talks about hauntings like that and it's still sort of there even because alan's there yeah and it's very like okay with like stranger things to do the the light is flickering yeah. so that's someone making contact <laughs> thing but i don't know, it it worked really well for me and i think it was a really cool sort of aside that felt more personal to alan as well and yeah it's just that they were small sections that really i think like was it two maybe three times you go back there, go there mm-hmm. in total yeah and yeah they just feel different somehow from everything you do in those new york sections yeah, they they didn't want to, they didn't seem to want to get too like depressing with it. But mm. for you know, that's probably the one thing that a remedy game's never really given me is like that that real like sadness. Yeah. Um, you know, they do weird. They can do funny and quirky. Oh Jesus, we didn't even talk about the 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 brothers on the TV ads. Oh, Those God. are amazing. <laughs> but they but when they. When they kind of, and you know, eventually it's sort of a misdirect with the Alice having killed herself. When they touched on that, I was like, oh, Remedy's actually like hitting me in in a, a different part of, of my heart that they've actually never really done before, you know, because in the first game, like, yeah, Alice is missing and that's the reason you're doing everything, but it's never really trying to be sad in that way. You know, more, whenever we go back, we see them together. We just see that Alan's kind of like, uh, a tired drunk asshole and <laughs> uh, and we never really get to like explore too much of her perspective so to see to get those like talking head segments with her and doing her her art display and everything you kind of get to meet her almost for the first time because she's gone so quickly in the first one and then knowing especially if you've been waiting 13 years to see what's next like okay now we finally get to see what happened with alice and then at least for a little while in the story you think oh you swore earlier, so I guess we can swear. Um, yep. Oh shit, she, uh, <laughs> you know, she she killed herself. That's like actually really tragic. And like, I, I don't know about you guys, but I fell for it at the time. Like, 
I, maybe I shouldn't have, maybe I should have seen like the, the other shoe to come. Cause you know, technically she died off screen or whatever, which is always a tell, but um, yeah, that it, you know, it didn't make me tear up in the way that maybe some games would, but like it, it got me to that mind space, that remedy. That was like the one sort of like emotion that remedy hadn't conquered for me before. And they, they did it this time. I think for me, it didn't land just because maybe I'm too cynical, but it was the thing where when you're talking about multiverses and other realities, I was like, well, in this one, she's, she killed right, herself, yeah, but yeah. what are the implications in the other ones? Or am I going to get sucked into another reality after, you know, I kill the other Alan Wake that's writing, which <laughs> didn't end up being Mr. Scratch, which was myself trying to edit something and, you know, going down that sort of rabbit hole of uh, trying to see behind the curtain. But then there's just, you know, infinite, infinitely more curtains uh, behind that last one. Yeah, it was again. That's where it, the Dark Tower stuff really hit for me. Like um, the whole Jake thing of um, like dying but coming back in different worlds and things like that. Instantly, that came to mind with everything I'd known at that point. But I did like the tragedy of it you know, in that sense. You know that that closeness of oh, you know, you know, you were going in as I was going out, sort of thing. Like that was like a uh, you know all this and you were so close mm. and that in itself was just like sad um so yeah but i didn't feel robbed to be fair by the fact that it sort of shifted with that thing and i think they do sort of push towards the tragedy with with saga and a daughter because mm-hmm. you know while it was difficult to sort of be too invested in that during that you know this whole thing the story is basically killing your daughter for the sake of mm-hmm. the story like that um, I think when you get to that end and that phone rings and rings and rings like that to see you know, to see if it worked and if it's worked in that way, that did it for me. That was like that was a bit was like, oh, can't believe you're leaving it like that. That's cruel. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's cruel. But it, I get it. I, I get why it, it had to be done. Um, maybe it'll be rectified with again with the expansion. But all the same, as it stands, that's a great way to go with it, I think, just because, like with Alan, you know, in the initial game, you don't really know the result of, of what you've done, you know, like that. And we had to wait all those years to find out. That will have to wait that long with this, but it's still like that sort of anticipation, oh, you're doing it to me again, and, you know, again, on a really meta level. With the story and you know, like, oh, look, we're telling the same thing again. It's a spiral. You're going round mm-hmm. and round, doing the same things over and over again. It's like, that's the stuff, yeah. Like, um, early on playing this game, I I was struggling with it a bit in terms of, like, pacing, what it was doing. And I just felt, I was waiting to see this game that was you know, being lauded by, you know, by yourself and others. Like that. But, like I said, once I hit, like, that little run of, like, Alan stuff with the musical number and with the, the hotel and the care home saga it all really just started clicking for me but it's the way it ties it all up in a bow I think for me, mm-hmm. that it really does it that just there's a way it pays off which as I said earlier is like I could see how it might piss people off like that I'm, you know, the place I work uh, where we reviewed it did not like it um, and uh, was very critical of the way that ended and I can completely understand that because um, up to that point I could see where you would get like anywhere in the range of scores you know it, because it makes sense but yeah I, for me 
I like stories that piss you off a bit. <laughs> like that. I, I don't mind things that like try to push your buttons in a way because that's the whole point. You know, you want to feel something, not just. It's not all about you know, you know, pumping your fists and going Yahoo. It, sometimes you want to be like, oh fuck, like that. And you know, when you're doing a horror story, that's exactly what you've got to do. There's certainly more interesting stories than ones that piss you off, right? Yes. I think also it's nice to get an ending that is a cliffhanger that you know will have a continuation rather than this being from, let's say, a studio that doesn't have this master plan yeah. behind everything right. or doesn't have a record of expanding these universes in a meaningful way. Um, you know, maybe I don't know about all the DLC that they've ever released, but, you know, there's definitely section pockets of DLC they've done that have expanded in ways that are meaningful. And I think... When you think about DLC specifically coming from Remedy, it's the same way I view every game they've made in that they all aren't my favorite, but each game is a learning opportunity for them to continue to perfect their very unique craft. Mm -hmm. You know, like what I said with Quantum Break, I view that game as being instrumental to getting us to where we are now, even if it's not one of my favorite Remedy games. And I view the DLC the same way. You know, at the time, American Nightmare, I was kind of like, yeah, so-so on it. But now that I can see the sort of the master plan, if you will, behind everything and how that influences Alan Wake too, it's like, oh no, I'm I'm so thankful for that. Even if at the time it wasn't like blowing my socks off, if you will. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think just in general, when you look at the sort of range of scores and whatnot that people have been giving it, for me personally, it's the type of thing where I was hooked instantly because of the fact that it shook up the formula of the original Shaking up that formula, in my opinion, didn't wasn't sort of like a detractor to the Alan Wake that I knew. If anything, it took the elements that I liked the most and then delivered them in a format that I liked even more mm -hmm. so with that, again, that survival horror aspect. Um, but I think also just the production value, which I keep coming back to, just mm. the ways in which they're able to strip the best bits of control for me and then incorporate it in a way that feels just I suppose, again, there's that dreaded word of organic to the story in the world that's being told in Alan Wake 2. Um, that was sort of what I think right from the outset hooked me. And if anything, I'm looking forward to even, I'll probably end up liking it more the second time around when I know what to expect. So then I can go off on maybe a few more uh, little tangential sort of runs around the environment to find what I missed. But at the same time, playing it in the structure that I don't know if it was to say it was intended, but jumping between characters more so through a run rather than just playing it straight, getting to a point where I can't proceed until mm -hmm. I finish the other campaign. Um, which, you know, in retrospect, probably wasn't the best way to play the game. But at the same time, if I walked away from it with, uh, you know, it being one of my games of the year, I think that's a pretty good indication of uh, the overall package, if you will. Yeah, I, I played it twice already now because I wanted to, I mainly play on Xbox. So I was like, I'm going to go get all the achievements on Xbox because that's what I do with all their all their Remedy <laughs> nice. games. And um, so I beat it on PC for review and then I played it again on Xbox. Just last week, I beat it the second time. I'm probably going to wait for the new game plus stuff to be in there because oh, I, that sure. intrigues me yeah. with the you know the idea that there's extra stuff that like I said now makes a lot more sense you know that what, why there's extra stuff and what could be different like that um because that, that, that might add something to it in the meantime it, hopefully there's not like a short gap between that and the expansion so I don't imagine mm. so but yeah that that is where I want to go with that plus yeah I just Time-wise, I don't get to review things or play things like you know, before I was reviewing games left, right, and now I'm just like I play for fun. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, time constraints are there, unfortunately, in a different way. So yeah, I, I'm. I, I must say, like I said, early on, was not sure. 
uh, I'd be coming into this podcast with the same opinion as well. And I hate to be negative on games like that. <laughs> I, that, and that was, a, that was slightly disappointing for a while, but yeah, there you go. It, it won me round a big time. Uh, I, I still think it's flawed. You know, I think there are problems with it, but then I love Metal Gear Solid too. So yeah, <laughs> the, the, the world's greatest example of ambitious uh, and flawed uh, that you can get. So, yeah, it, it makes total sense that um, this game did get me in the end. Not to end on a negative note, but I did mention earlier that um, a fair bit of people have encountered bugs, myself included. Uh, and I'm curious for you guys, did you end up hitting any bugs that kind of stalled your progress or in some cases forced you to kind of reload a substantial chunk? I, I This is so funny. I didn't. So I, I think... Uh... I don't know how much of the timing because it basically I had like a week to beat it for a review. Yeah. Um, and I think the embargo was like a Wednesday or a Thursday morning and I beat it on like a Monday, like a couple, two or three days before basically. So I had a couple of days to write it. Although, I mean, I guess pull back the curtain. I don't usually take that long to write anyway. I usually know, like, I don't know. I just work quickly once I know what I want to say, but that's neither here nor there. But, um, <laughs> but I beat it with a couple of days uh to spare and and i didn't really have any issues um i had one kind of funky mind place thing toward the end where like i couldn't it was it's when saga is like trapped in the mind place within the dark place sort of thing um and that was like glitching on me which for a minute felt very psychomantis and like fourth <laughs> wall breaky she's yeah. like because she's talking even the dialogue is is spoken like oh i can't get out i'm trapped here and i'm like no, I'm literally trapped literally. in the screen. Is this supposed to be happening? <laughs> and so that was that was weird. Eventually, I figured out it was a bug, and um, they were remedy was actually going to help me troubleshoot it. And then before we even needed that, I kind of just button mashed my way through it, and it actually helped me figure it out. Um, and that that bug's been patched out anyway. So if nobody, hopefully nobody listening is hasn't uh hasn't beaten it yet or else they got a bunch of awesome stuff spoiled but <laughs> um you know if you're worried about bugs that 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 one's gone at least but what I, what I was saying earlier with like the timing of when I beat it I don't know if this is exactly how it happened but what seemed to happen was that they actually released a patch to fix some things that may have tweaked some other section it was specifically it was initiation 8 um, when you're mm -hmm. Alan in the mm -hmm. theater lobby and you do the echo from like the balcony, like the stairs looking down and toward like the entrance area. Um, and for, for several viewers that I heard, or not, to, not necessarily just reviewers, but just like people who had the access to the game before launch, I guess, um, for, for a lot of those folks, or at least some of those folks, they, uh, they couldn't like get the echo to work and it was driving them nuts. And for some people, you could kind of like, again, kind of brute force it and eventually just get the pixels right where they needed to if you tried long enough. And for other people, like, no, it's not working. It's it's never going to work. Um, so those people had to wait for a patch or get like a backup save, I think, in some in some uh, unfortunate instances. Um, but yeah, I, I it seems like the patch that I beat the game, I beat the game, a patch came out to fix some stuff, including probably the thing that I had an issue with but then may have also tweaked that in, in the process. Mm. So I like just got basically as Indiana Jones, like sliding under the door or whatever. <laughs> um, I, I just got out before, like apparently a bunch of people hit the same issue, which was, which was um, too bad for those folks. But yeah, I made it out with it. <laughs> Cause if I hit that, maybe it's not a 10 for me, which sucks because then, you know, it's like 
it's probably going to be fixed later. Like you still kind of want to take it for what it's going to be, but also versus what it is. That's always tricky, isn't it? Because like there are levels of bugs, I think, where you can look at it and go, it's going to be fixed like that. I mean, you've got to sort of take a step back and go, if this was fixed, yeah, you know, or not, you know, does it really change anything for me? If this is something that stops you playing, understandable. Yeah, you get that. I mean, for me, I think I got a similar luck where just like every time I was coming up to a section that was supposedly had a problem, they just patched it before I got there. So it's like, <laughs> nice. like that. And I think by the end of it, I think again the mine place at the end that you were talking about was the only place where I noticed anything really unusual, which is doing the the board and like. Um, one of the, the photos which is like floating around in front of my face for a while like that rather than going to the board but it went you know it snapped back after that it was just but other than that and it was hard to know if that was meant or not so, <laughs> so, so that's the get when you're when you're playing weird you can just you know shrug those things off and go yeah yeah we meant that like <laughs> that you were special you got to see that <laughs> like that but yeah it always a point of contention you know, with, with bugs because Whatever game you're putting out now, you're going to expect something, I think, just because the reason we get them is games are more complicated. And this is a big studio, but they're not a big, big studio. And they don't have certain things. So you are going to expect some problems here and there. And they can patch them out. It's like, I don't like to get too nitty-gritty on stuff like that anyway. And, you know, I didn't get that. But I, I can see how that can just shift a review, uh, ultimately. I remember back seeing it with Fallout 4 where I had a fucking flawless run and I loved it and like that. And then the guy who was playing it alongside me, it was like, I fucking lost progress here. This crash there is like, it was like, yeah, well, I had that with the last two Fallout games. Great. Yeah, it's like, yeah. <laughs> it, it happens. Um, but yeah, I think when the bugs aren't that bad and there is a way through, I get the frustration if it's stopping you for a while and you can't continue on because you want to it'd be like someone just like someone scribbled over this page in a book and you can't read the rest of it until someone brings you a fresh page thing but it's you can't yeah you can't account for some of these things there's a lot going on it's difficult to gauge that but yeah at the end of the day that's what you know reviews are they're opinions of the moment and the time you're playing them Mm. or watching or reading whatever it is so yeah it, it, it's understandable if, if people didn't like it for those reasons. Yeah, I was just curious about your guys' experience with the bugs because within the first three hours, I think, I kept hitting a soft lock for Saga when I was in the mine place oh. where hmm. it wouldn't let me leave, basically. And so then I kind of had to backtrack a little bit, which was like 20 minutes, which is not the end of the world. But it was a thing where I was just like living in dread of hitting that soft lock hmm. a second time. And then I had a buddy that was playing that basically got to the point where you couldn't progress as Alan until you actually progressed with Saga. And he would go to these those uh, janitor sections or janitor bins that are supposed to let you swap, but then couldn't swap. And so he was just kind of like stuck in this state, which then, you know, got patched and whatnot. <laughs> that's, that's meta as well. That's, that's pretty <laughs> <Yeah>. good. <laughs> stuck in the dark place. That's it. <laughs> we got the alpha ending. <laughs> but it was one of those things where I was just like living in terror of hitting those. But I think similar to Neil and clearly Mark, like we returned to it at a point where it kept getting patched. So those things didn't end up popping up in the later half of it. But yeah, you know, I talked about it recently um, with somebody just about bugs and these things and kind of champion what we've already said, right? It's like it 
for me, it depends on the studio, right? Because it's like, if it's a studio that has a history of going back and making those changes and making those fixes, it's like, yeah, it's a nuisance. But at the end of the day, if you wait a little while, it's going to be fixed. Uh, and somebody like Remedy, I think, definitely gets a little more benefit of the doubt. Even if I was reviewing it, I'd of course mention those things. But at the same time, it's kind of like, yeah, sure, it's annoying now, but it's not going to be the end state of that game uh, at the end of the day and whatnot. When you're shooting your shot and you are being ambitious, that, that is mm-hmm. where I can always give a pass with things like that, with, with sure. flaws in general, because the reason those bugs exist is because they're pushing themselves and they're trying mm-hmm. something that's out of their normal space. So there, I can totally go, okay, fine. I, I get why you might have bugs here and there everywhere. And mm-hmm. yeah, if you, you've got a history, as you said, of patching stuff, I'm not going to worry about it too much in the long run. I'd be more concerned about you know, proper things that maybe aren't so fixable, you know, the direction of the way a game is going or mm. you know, the storyline decisions or the mechanical decisions, which you can't really overhaul without like ripping up the floorboards, you know, so to speak, and yeah. just changing Red everything. Pole. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you can patch Redfall, but you can't. You know, you can't fix some of those <laughs> yeah. like deeply rooted issues. Yeah, no. it is. yeah. That, I mean, that's just a perfect example. And it's like, even though you know they've got the potential, you know, to do something so much more because we've seen it, it's yeah, the, the fundamental package there is just not it. It's not going to be that mm-hmm. because it was designed to be one thing. And then others came in and said, no, can you make it like this and this and this and this? And it's become something else you know, like that. And this goes back to what we were saying about how good it is to have the ability to have freedom and your own vision is no one's telling you to alter things for, you know, you know the demographics, if you will. And you, that's it. You, you can then just have the technical problems to worry about. And mm. anything else is just on you then, you know, you in general opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I think that's going to wrap us up for our chat about Alan Wake 2. Mark, we were so happy to have you, man, to have join us and chat about uh, what is, I don't want to speak for you, probably up for your uh, game of the year, right? Yeah, I was just putting together my, my final list. Uh, not my final, final list, but I, I don't know why I'm so obsessed with making lists. My wife makes fun of me for it. But uh, I love I, doing my I do my top 20 games at the end of every year and I was kind of putting out like draft number one of it with a couple more games to play, see if they rank. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, the, the only thing I know for sure is Alan Wake is number one um, and wouldn't be a topic for this show, but Hitman Freelancer is freaking awesome. Oh, if, I mean, <laughs> it is a topic for this show because I love Hitman Freelancer. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, <it's> like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's that was my game of the year all year until Alan Wake. Um, and I should say too, I was always so, uh, like I mentioned earlier, like okay, I'm the kind of the Alan Wake remedy guy doing this review. It's it feels like a ten. I got to give it a ten. I think this review reads like a ten, but maybe people are still going to be like, well, of course, he's got to give it a ten. And then to see so many other tens out there, I was like, oh, thank God, it wasn't just yeah. me. <laughs> it's the worst thing when you give a game a high score, yeah. like everyone else is like, nah. <laughs> yeah so i worked out <laughs> you never want to be that drastic outlier no matter what you're reviewing yes <laughs> but yeah thank you so much um thank you guys for having me this was this was great to be on with you um you know i, th- I think we were talking about maybe another future episode down the line i gotta work up my schedule and maybe if you guys um didn't didn't hate this we can do it again sometime <laughs> uh, well we went 90 minutes and forgot to do a break so i'm pretty sure we did all right oh, here. Shit, you're right <laughs> <laughs>
that's a first for Safe Room. I think that's indicative of us yeah. having the perfect guest. And yeah, man, we're gonna uh, we'll be we'll be talking about a future episode uh, about another horror game that's uh, gonna be having an anniversary coming up this month. But uh, you know, hopefully, uh, we'll be seeing you back here soon. Cool, that'd be cool. Thank you for listening to another episode of Safe Room. If you enjoy the show, please rate us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Safe Room Pod for show updates. You can follow our Twitter account for Horror Bites also at HorrorBites underscore SR. You can join our Discord channel, Safe Room Podcast, to chat with us and other horror fans about the genre we all love. And last but not least, you can email us at saferoompod at gmail.com if you'd like to share your thoughts on a game we're going to cover. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you guys next Monday.